While much valuable Christian literature from prior centuries has been republished in recent years, the particular Baptists have been largely ignored. Yet, their contributions in the areas of biblical exegesis, theology, history, and practical Christian living have much to offer today's church. The particular Baptists have always demonstrated a firm and faithful commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, its proclamation to all the world, and the inspiration, inerrancy, and absolute authority of all of Scripture. We at Particular Baptist Heritage Books desire to champion this God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, word-centered legacy by producing high-quality, handcrafted, hard-cased editions of Particular Baptist works, which we hope will endure for generations to come. Particular Baptist Heritage Books is a nonprofit publishing ministry founded in connection with a local church. With the help from an advisory board consisting of Calvinistic Baptist pastors and scholars, we seek to preserve the history, theology, and relevancy of our particular Baptist forebears by publishing and promoting their most important literary works. Our mission is to glorify God and to strengthen His church by furnishing Christians with the very best of the particular Baptist literary heritage. And so we invite you, come and deepen your Baptist roots at www.particularbaptistbooks.com www.particularbaptistbooks.com This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. The Nobel Peace Prize, we're probably all familiar with, but it's an award given annually to a person or an organization that makes a significant effort to promote peace in this world. Uh, For instance, President Teddy Roosevelt received it for uh, helping to end the Japanese-Russian War of 1904-1905, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, was awarded it for his efforts to promote civil rights among African Americans here in the 1960s. And Mother Teresa was given the award because of her compassion she showed to the suffering and the poor, especially in India. But do you know who should be winning the Nobel Peace Prize year in and year out? Who should be the greatest peacemakers this world has ever seen? Well, it's not nations, it's not organizations, it's not even political leaders. But brothers and sisters, it should be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Jesus makes this point in the seventh beatitude that I would like us to look at this morning. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, so please turn with me there that the greatest peacemakers on earth should be and must be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear what he declares in this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons, and we could say daughters of God. They shall be called children of the living God. Well, I want us to look at this beatitude under two points this morning. First, I want us to see the peaceful description in the first part of this beatitude with some applications that follow. And then secondly, the blessed designation in the second part of this beatitude with a couple applications as well. But before we begin, let's pray one more time together. Heavenly Father, we implore you now to pour out the Spirit of God upon us to enlighten our minds that we might understand the Scriptures and understand this specific beatitude and that you, Holy Spirit, would work this in our hearts and in our souls. We are nothing. We are destitute. We are vile sinners without your help. Please come and please get all the glory, our great God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, let's look at the the peaceful description found in the first part of this beatitude. Again, Jesus begins this beatitude by saying, blessed are the peacemakers. So here, let's consider what it means to be a peacemaker and what it looks like to be a peacemaker. So first, what it means, this word peacemakers is is an adjective. It's made up of two words. You can see that very clearly here. The word for peace and then the word maker, which comes from the verb to do or to make. So when we put these two words together, Jesus is describing a kind of person that doesn't just possess peace, doesn't just study peace, doesn't just delight in peace, but he is telling us that this person is also a peace practicer, a peace doer, a peace worker, one who goes out there and makes peace with others. But what does it exactly look like to be a peacemaker? What picture do the scriptures draw for us of a peacemaker? Well, I think we see two things that are true of every biblical peacemaker. The first is this. Peacemakers seek to end all strife, conflict, hostility, aggression, fighting, and warfare with others. So instead of coming after people with a sword, peacemakers come to them with a peace treaty. Now we see this literally happening all throughout the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. And especially as they would go into the land of Canaan and meet all of these pagan tribes and people groups, they were to come first offering peace. The directives are found for us in Deuteronomy 20, 10 through 12, which says, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. So again, that happens over and over and over again with the nation of Israel going into Canaan, with all the kings of Israel. But it just teaches us, I think, that one essential component of peacemaking is 
We don't see people as our enemies anymore that need to be besieged, that need to be conquered, that need to be destroyed. Right? Our, our finger is not hovering over the nuclear button when we think about people, even people who have done great harm to ourselves. Instead, as peacemakers, we are to sheath our swords, we are to unclench our fists, we're to put down the weapons of warfare, and we are to seek to be at peace with our fellow men. Again, no matter who they are and no matter what they have done. But that's just only a part of what true peacemaking looks like. There's another component, and we could say it's the positive component of peacemaking that we cannot neglect or overlook. So secondly, peacemakers also seek to cultivate friendly, harmonious relationships with others. And so it is not just simply tolerating other people or not hating other people or being indifferent to people that is the essence of peacemaking. No, we are also to care for other people, love them, seek their welfare, do good to them, provide for them, be united with them, and ultimately desire for them to be reconciled to God. As you look through the Old Testament, there's this kind of constant picturesque version or vision of what peace really looks like. And what it is is a person sitting under his grapevine and under his fig tree. Right? We find that phrase being used several times in the Old Testament to give us a picture of what peace ought to be like. And so when Old Testament saints thought about peace, I think they thought about doing that, sitting under their vine and sitting under their fig tree. Let me just read some of the passages that state this. Uh, speaking about what life was like under the reign of King Solomon, we read this in 1 Kings 4, 24 through 25. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety, from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. So there are peace on all sides. The people of God lived in safety. And then you have this wonderful vision of every man under his own vine and his fig tree. But this is also used in reference to the greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ, King Messiah, and what his reign would be like as well. We read this in Micah chapter 4, 3 through 4. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So the context is the Messiah is going to bring peace. But then it says this in verse 4. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. That's Micah 4. And then we get an additional description found in Zechariah 3.10, which says, In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor 
to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So, as we think about the question, what does peace look like? It looks like this. It looks like every man sitting under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, we might not be familiar with grapevines and fig trees, so maybe for you, it's sitting under your oak tree on a calm and quiet summer day with a cool glass of lemonade in your hand or sweet tea, whatever it might be. Right? You get the picture of, of what the Old Testament is trying to tell us, what peace truly looks, looks like. You kick back and relax. You have not a care in the world. And you're enjoying this time with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones, and with your neighbors. That's peace. It's a wonderful picture of peace. And so, peacemakers are those who seek to have this sort of relationship with all people. They don't just have a truce or a ceasefire with their neighbor, but they call out to their neighbor, hey friend, come under my vine and under my fig tree. Relax with me. Enjoy a meal with me. Have a conversation with me. Let me know how I can be a help and a blessing to you. Being this way doesn't mean that you have to somehow be an absolute pacifist. It doesn't mean that you have to be a compromiser or a people pleaser. It doesn't mean that you can never become righteously angry over certain things. It doesn't even mean that we will always be successful at making peace with other people. There are some people out there who simply do not want to have a relationship with us marked by calmness and kindness and peace. Sometimes they simply want to hate us and be our enemies instead of our friends. But being a peacemaker means that we are always offering the invitation for people to sit under our vine and under our fig tree. It means that we are welcoming. It means that we are inviting. It means that we are friendly. It means that we are patient. It means that we are not quick to speak, but we are quick to listen to the needs of other people. Being a peacemaker means to seek to build bridges with others instead of tearing them down. It means that in every disagreement and dispute and conflict, we are holding out the olive branch of peace. We are thinking to ourselves, how can I make peace in this troubled situation? The intention of a peacemaker is to heal breaches and calm troubled storms and restore and reconcile broken relationships and bring harmony to distorted and messed up situations and establish peace where there is no peace. I just want to stop here and make a few important applications. The first one is this. Being a peacemaker is part and parcel of the Christian life. It is so very vital and important. Now, this should go without saying because it's found right here in one of these Beatitudes, which tell us the most essential characteristics of a Christian. But to add more gravity and weightiness to this very specific attitude for us to be peacemakers, listen to these other passages which highlight the importance of being a peacemaker. 
Psalm 34, 14, which is also quoted in 1 Peter 3:11. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians 4, 3. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, be at peace among yourselves. And Hebrews 12.14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. All right, so the scriptures exhort us and command us to seek peace and pursue it to live peaceably with all, to pursue what makes for peace, to live in peace, to be at peace among ourselves, and to strive for peace with everyone. Right? It's like an avalanche just hitting us with, with, with great force and intensity, and it should. This is a very vital characteristic in the Christian life. The act of peacemaking is no small or insignificant thing. It is something we are continually exhorted to do. So brethren, may we be intentional. May we be active. May we be serious about being peacemakers. So this just leads me to ask, is there someone in your life right here and right now that you need to make peace with? Is there someone who has sinned against you is there someone that you have sinned against? Is there someone that you have a current controversy with that you know you at least need to try and seek to make peace with that specific person? Right? If so, here's your opportunity to put into practice this glorious beatitude in your life. So this is a very important thing that we must consider but secondly, I need to say this, and especially to those who are not Christians. Before you can be a peacemaker, God must first make peace with you. There are many people out there in the world who spend much of their lives trying to make peace with others. I think the clearest example that at least comes to my mind are those who volunteer for the Peace Corps. Right, these people go and they travel to other countries and live in other cultures and they try to allevi alleviate things like poverty and homelessness and starvation and all these different kinds of places. They're trying to bring peace to this suffering world and that's admirable. But here's the thing. If someone wants to be a true peacemaker according to the scriptures, if they want to make peace in a way that honors and glorifies God and does real, true, lasting good to the bodies and souls of men, they must first be at peace with God. You see, by nature, we are not peaceful people. The history of the world proves this. That men cannot live with other men without violence, bloodshed, tyranny, oppression. It's from the very beginning, since the fall, 
These things have occurred and they will continue to occur until Christ returns. By nature, we're not peaceful. We aren't born with quiet, gentle spirits. We are born with hate-filled, violent, jealous, envious, murderous hearts. We are born with the mentality, eat or be eaten, conquer or die. This is how Titus 3.3 says it. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. By nature, we hate others and others hate us. For this is what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Friends, brethren, that's us by nature. We're not inherently good. We are the wicked described here by the prophet Isaiah. Constantly within our hearts and souls, there is this tossing up of muck and mire and sin and violence and jealousy and envy. And there is no peace for wicked people like ourselves if we we remain in the filth of our native depravity. So here's the thing. There is a vital connection between this beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, and the previous beatitude, which is blessed are the pure in heart. Between being a peacemaker and possessing a pure heart, and the connection is this, only those whose hearts have been purified by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ can now actually go out and make peace with others. Only those whose sins have been forgiven and who have peace with God through Jesus Christ can be true peacemakers. They're the only ones who have this peaceful river flowing within their hearts. Their hearts have been cleansed of all filth, all sin, all impurity, all pride, all jealousy, all envy, all strife. And now they have hearts that are at rest. Hearts that are safe. Hearts that are secure. Hearts that are calm. Hearts that are quiet. Hearts that are in tune with the heart and will of God. So they don't have this eat or be eaten mentality any longer. They're not out there competing with others. They're not out there trying to be better than others. They're not out there trying to win against others. They're not trying to be king of their own hills because they are in the kingdom of God now. Again, they are safe and secure with no alarms because God is their heavenly father and Christ Jesus is their savior and the Holy Spirit is their comforter and heaven is their homeland. So the fight with God is over for them. They've surrendered. They've waved the white flag. They've bowed the knee to the prince of peace. And they're at peace now. And now the fight with other men is over too. They're at peace with God. And therefore, they can now be at peace with man. So if you're not a Christian here, you must understand this. If you want to be a peacemaker, you must first experience peace from the God of peace. And that only comes by trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ with your entire heart. So if you want to be a peacemaker, you must find peace with God in Jesus Christ. 
And here's the third thing I'd like to say. Being a peacemaker is a sure sign of possessing a pure heart. Last week I said that purity of heart doesn't stay hidden. It doesn't stay bottled up. It manifests itself in our outward actions in our lives. A purified heart seeks and desires to live a pure and a holy life. And one major way purity is seen in our lives is by us being peaceful people. So do you want to know if you have a pure heart? Well, one of the evidences is, are you a peacemaker? You know, peace and purity are linked up a lot of times in the scripture. Let me just read two passages which link up these two things. I just read one of them, but let me read it again. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Right? Peace and purity. Strive for peace. Also strive for the holiness or the purity without which no one will see the Lord. And 2 Timothy 2, 12, uh, 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If somebody's got a pure heart, what else are they going to pursue? Well, one of the things they're going to pursue is peace. So seeking to make peace is what purified hearts do. They've experienced peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and now they want the same kind of peace to be experienced by all. So for everyone here who professes to have their hearts purified by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, let me ask you this. Are you also a son and daughter of peace? A man or woman of peace? A counselor of peace? A proclaimer of peace? A maker of peace? Are you a peacemaker in your community? Are you a good citizen? Do you try to obey the laws of your land as best as you can? Do you pray for the welfare of the place God has put you? Do you pray for the success and the prosperity of the leaders that God has placed over you? Do you think about the needs of people in your community and do you seek to meet those needs? And most of all, do you seek ways to get the gospel of peace out to your lost neighbors? Are you a peacemaker in your community? Are you a peacemaker in your church, in this church? Again, we are, we are called to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Something that should be very important and vital to every church of the Lord Jesus. Well, how well are we doing that? Remember, churches can be so fragile It doesn't take much unrest and division and conflict to shatter a church into a thousand pieces. It could be a healthy, strong church for many, many years, and all it takes is one controversy, one dispute, one division, and there goes that church. So, is the peace of this church something you highly prize and you highly work for? Do you seek to encourage your pastors Or do you find yourselves questioning and criticizing them? Do you speak well of other church members 
Or do you gossip about them behind their backs? Are you slow to speak and quick to listen to the needs of others? Or are you too busy talking about yourself? Are you approachable and easy to get along with? Or are you closed off and very hard and difficult to get to know? Do you actively seek to build up and strengthen the body of believers here? Or do you sow seeds of discord among the brethren? Things we need to ask ourselves. But lastly, are you a peacemaker in your family? This may be where it hits home the most. Are you a firefighter or a fire starter in your home? Are you the source of family feuds or are you the one who puts an end to family feuds? Fathers and husbands, can your kids and wife come to you without feeling like they have to walk on eggshells? Is there an atmosphere of fear and dread of what you might do if someone in your family does one tiny little thing to upset you? Or do you as the head of your family infuse your home with a sense of peace and calmness and comfort? Right? Is, a, is your home a home of rest because of your leadership? Do you govern your home with a level head and a calm spirit and a loving heart? Are you a peacemaker within your home? But wives and mothers, are you a peacemaker in your home? Or do you like to nag? Are you a drama queen? Do you like to get under the skin of your husband and provoke him to anger? Are you perpetually irritated with your kids and discontent with your life? Or do you have that gentle and quiet spirit that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3? Right? One that trusts God, one that submits to your husband, one that delights in your motherly duties. Are you a peacemaker in your home? But children, there's a word for you as well. Do you sweetly and calmly obey your parents? Do you make life easy for your parents and for your other siblings? Or is everything a fight and a battle with you? Are you one that is constantly a complainer and a whiner and a moaner and a groaner and a grumbler when it comes to having your, to do your duties in your home? Do you make life very hard and difficult for everyone else in the house? Are, are you a peacemaker in your home? The thing we all have to realize is that God has not called any of us to strife and enmity and war with each other, but God has called us to peace. He has called us to be peacemakers. So we need to evaluate how we're doing in the peacemaking department, and we need to beg and plead God to help us to grow in striving for peace with everyone. So let us continually ask ourselves a question, am I a peacemaker? And make that application in specific scenarios in our lives. I'm thankful for this beatitude, and I feel like God has convicted me over this more and more and more, even this past week. And when I get frustrated, and when I want to open my mouth, and when I want to vent my anger, I have to ask myself the question, am I truly trying to make peace in this situation? Or am I trying to irritate other people or provoke other people or stoke the flames 
that might soon burn down my house or my church or my community. So may God help us with this. But that's the peaceful description. Secondly, let's consider the blessed designation. The reason why the peacemakers are such blessed and happy people is found in the second half of the Beatitude, where Jesus says, For they shall be called sons of God. This is such a glorious title that actually violent, horrible, wicked sinners can be given peace with God and then be called sons of God. It's a title that describes those who have been adopted into the family of God. They were once far away. They were once alienated from God. They were once in the darkness, but God has now brought them to his side. He becomes their heavenly father, and they become his beloved children. And here, it is the peacemakers that are called sons of God. They're not made into sons of God because they seek after peace, but they're called this. They're acknowledged as sons of God. They are owned as sons and daughters of God. Of course, by other men, but most importantly, by God himself. But why are the peacemakers given this special designation? What's the connection between being a peacemaker and being called sons of God? What is it about being a peacemaker that shows one is a child of God? I think it's this. Peacemakers are called sons of God because they bear the family resemblance of God. They look like and they act like their heavenly father. Remember, the devil is the author of all confusion and chaos and strife and violence and war and death. He was a troublemaker from the beginning, and he has not changed one bit. He continues to seek to kill kill and steal and destroy. But God is the God of peace. He, He receives this title in so many different places in Scripture. I don't have time to read them to you. But he is called the God of peace. He's at peace within himself. He's completely calm and serene and content. Nothing troubles him. He has anxiety over nothing. Nothing worries him at all. He is perfectly happy and blessed within himself. And he is the God who makes peace. He is the great peacemaker. And we see his greatest peacemaking activities in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you read through your Old Testaments, you'll come across passages that tell us that one day God would make a covenant of peace with sinners where they would be safe and secure for all eternity. You find it especially in the book of Ezekiel. He's going to make a covenant of peace with sinners. And he has done this by sending his eternally begotten son into this world. One of the glorious titles of Christ is that he is the prince of peace. And so he's this prince, he's this great king, and he's been sent into the world to bring this peaceful kingdom here. Peace on earth was proclaimed, was sung the day of his birth. 
So he's this peaceful king. He brings in this peaceful kingdom that's marked by peace and to establish peace on earth. He's come to carry out the will of his father so that he might bring those who are sitting in darkness and bring them into the way of peace. That's what the scriptures tell us. But they also tell us that this peace was no easy thing. It came at a great cost. God is the God of peace, but he is also the thrice holy God who does not wink at sin, who does not overlook sin, who does not agree to disagree with rebel sinners living upon his earth, breathing his own air, sinning against him day in and day out. He must punish sin. And so the peace treaty God accomplished was signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It was by the blood of Jesus' cross that peace from God flows to man. God so delights in making peace with sinners that he judged and condemned and put to death his own dearly beloved son on the cross. He poured out the full measure of his wrath and anger and judgment upon his sinless son so that we could have peace with him. He's the God of peace. He has made peace. And now he freely offers peace to anyone and everyone who hears the message of the gospel. He's holding out this great peace treaty, this great olive branch of peace to rebel sinners. And for those who have received this peace that comes through the gospel, God continues to give them peace throughout their lives. He doesn't just stop at saving them and initially giving them peace. He delights in continually giving them fresh supplies of peace that come through the blood of Christ. Just think about how many times in the New Testament epistles where we read words like grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Does God want us to know his peace? Absolutely. Absolutely. He delights in giving us peace. And so if you're a Christian, God wants you to be reminded of his peace. He wants you to know his peace. He wants you to enjoy his peace. God wants to give you peace at all times in every way. Peace in your anxieties and troubles. Peace when Satan tempts you. Peace in your relationships. Peace in your church life. Peace in your hearts. And especially peace on your deathbed. So I'm just making this point to say that God is the God of peace. And God loves to make peace. He loves to give peace. He loves to show himself to be the God of peace. And so, this is where it applies to us now. The sons of God act like God in making peace. They are his laborers on earth. They are his image bearers on earth. They are his peace corps on earth who carry out his will to publish his peace and bring his peace to this world. And so the peacemakers are fittingly called sons and daughters of the peaceful and peacemaking God. They receive this title now, and they will be openly acknowledged as the sons of God on the great day of judgment. So that's the connection, right? Peacemakers are called the sons of God because they were reflecting the peace that God loves to bestow upon the inhabitants of this world.
I just have a couple applications that I think flow from this. And after that, we'll end our time together. The first is this. Being a peacemaker does not mean being an appeaser. So true peacemaking is not appeasement. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Appeasing someone means making concessions and avoiding conflict with someone, often at the sacrifice of principles. In other words, you, you compromise, you give in. Um, you're standing upon certain principles, but in order to avoid conflict, you sacrifice those principles to make the other person happy. I think a good example that we, we see of appeasement is not just between nations, but we see it in parenting a lot, especially with children. So maybe you've been at the store shopping somewhere and you're standing in line and you're getting ready to, to, uh, to pay for your, your groceries or whatever it might be, but in front of you is a, a mom and a little child. The little child there in line is whining and crying and making a hissy fit because he wanted a piece of candy right there and his mom told him no. And so the, the kid is making this great scene. And instead of this mother doing her motherly duty to discipline this little one and to continue to put her foot down and say no, she gives in. She gets little Johnny the piece of candy that he was whining and crying for, and she initially said no to. Well, that's not peacemaking. That's what I would consider appeasement. The kid should have been disciplined. Right? He's rebelling against the, the, the command of his mother. But she compromises her motherly duties in order to make him happy. Well, parents, please don't do this to your children. And brethren, let us not do this to anyone else. The point is, our peacemaking must be modeled and patterned after God's peacemaking with sinners. Right? The peacemakers shall be called sons of God because they are modeling, they are, they are walking in the footsteps of the way that God makes peace with other people. So our peace must reflect the way that God makes peace with others. And God did not compromise or sacrifice any principles or standards of his holiness and justice in order to make peace with us. On the cross, righteousness and peace came together and kissed each other. There was not a battle between righteousness and peace at the cross. They sweetly kissed one another. God's justice had to be completely satisfied by the blood of Jesus Christ if the path to forgiveness and peace would ever be open to us. So that means this. In all our peacemaking efforts with others, we must not compromise any truths of the Christian faith. Our peace, of course, must be full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, but it also must be founded upon eternal righteousness. We must still hunger and thirst after righteousness. So peacemaking is not sporting the coexist bumper sticker on the back of your car. That's what the world thinks, but that's not peacemaking. It's not sitting around a campfire holding hands and singing kumbaya. It's not telling others, you do you and I'll do me, and we'll all live in perfect harmony. It's not having the mentality, peace at any cost. 
It's not proclaiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. Brethren, we must not cheapen peace of its preciousness. We must not gut peace of its glory. True peace is defined by God. True peace was bought and paid for with the costly and precious blood of Jesus Christ. And true peace only comes to sinners when they lay down their weapons of warfare and accept the terms of the gospel and bow down and kiss the feet of the Prince of Peace. So being a peacemaker can be really tough and difficult work. It doesn't come easy. Sometimes peace doesn't come without blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes it's made through pain and suffering and sacrifice. In the greatest example is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the only way that peace could come to our souls. And sometimes peace is misunderstood and rejected by those we are trying to show it to. I think this is especially true when we evangelize and preach the gospel to the lost. So often people think we're hateful. So often people think that we are, we are violent, that we are, we are trying to bring about confusion and chaos and, and up in society itself by preaching the gospel to sinners. But that's not the case. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who uh, publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Right? How beautiful are the feet of those who publish peace. But not everyone sees those feet as beautiful. For example, think about the prophet Elijah. He was a proclaimer of peace. But what did wicked King Ahab say to him? What did he call him? You troubler of Israel. Or think of the Apostle Paul and his companions, how they went about from city to city proclaiming the peace of the gospel. But the worldly men in Philippi called them disturbers of the city. And the violent mob in Thessalonica said they turned the world upside down. And they were saying that in a bad way. Worst of all, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, the great proclaimer of peace But how did his own people respond to him publishing peace? They vilified him. They said he was a blasphemer who was trying to abolish the law of Moses. They said he was an insurrectionist trying to overthrow Caesar's reign of the Roman Empire. And they ultimately hung him upon the accursed cross. Well, brethren, the same thing may happen to us as we publish the good news of peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. To a lot of sinners, our message may smell of the aroma of death. They may become absolutely offended and upset at the preaching of the gospel. But that gives us no right to tamper or tinker with anything concerning the truths of the Christian faith. Right? We cannot change the terms of the gospel so that they will be more accepting in the ears of rebel sinners. We must not water down the gospel. We must not lower the standards of God's law. We must not falsely give comfort and assurance to people. If people don't want this kind of peace, we are not to give in. We are not to fold. We must not act like everything is okay when it's not. 
Instead, we are called to lovingly and boldly proclaim the gospel of peace. And if people hate us for it, we have directions and instructions in the word of God of what to do about that. We come to somebody who is not a man of peace. What are we to do? Shake off the dust from your feet and go to another person who might be willing to receive it. And so, brethren, let us understand that people will misinterpret, people will be offended at the preaching of the gospel of peace. But let us continue to do our duty to publish the glorious news of salvation to the utter ends of the earth. So the point is, whether you're parenting, whether you're counseling someone in a situation, whether you're a mediator within a dispute, or whether you're evangelizing the lost, please do not be an appeaser. Please do not sacrifice any principles of the Christian faith or the law of God or the truth that's contained in the word of God just to make everybody happy, just to make sure there's not any conflict any longer. We must not be like that. And so let us stand firm upon the word of God. Let us trust in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that comes to us in those moments. And let us reflect the very peace of God in all of our interactions with others. Here's the last word. I hope this is true, and I hope you've seen this, but do you see the vital importance of being a peacemaker? The world needs us to be the peacemakers that Jesus describes here in this passage. And the reason why this is so important is not just because there's this beatitude and not just because there's all these commands out there for us to strive to make peace, But the biggest reason that we ought to be peacemakers is because peacemaking is so close to the heart of our God. So close, in fact, that those who imitate him in making peace are called his sons and daughters. And so peacemaking is not some sort of foreign characteristic or attribute that is far away from our God peacemaking is what God is known for. Peacemaking is what delights him. Peacemaking is what he constantly shows to his church, and it's what he constantly offers to his enemies. So let's not just see this as some kind of bare command that we must grit our teeth and obey, but let's see it as the divine commission to reflect the glory of God and to reveal the heart of God to all the peoples of this world. Let's see it as one of the blessed effects of being redeemed and purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, he not only makes peace between God and man, but he makes peace now between man and man. Let's see it as the fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God grows and cultivates within us to make us more like Christ. And let us see it as one of the great evidences that will be put forward on the day of judgment to show whether we are the children of God or the children of the devil. And for any sinner out here today, I'm called as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, one who heralds the message of the gospel, one who proclaims it to you, to be reconciled to God. That is what you must take away from this sermon. Be reconciled to God. Find peace with God. Accept his peace treaty, accomplished and signed 
with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The perfect sinless Christ was made to be sin on the cross. The perfect sinless Christ was crushed and judged. He was thrown into panic. He was thrown into chaos. He was thrown into confusion. He was mocked. He was scorned. He was mistreated. He was crucified. And worst of all, he experienced the fiery wrath and awful judgment of God. Why? So that sinners like you don't have to. So that sinners like you could have all your sins forgiven. That sinners like you could become the righteousness of God. So sinners like you could have peace with God. And the good news to you is God is willing to be reconciled to you. Children, God is willing to be reconciled to you. That is the good news of the gospel. That God is entirely just and holy. He could send you to hell and be entirely right to do so. But he is willing and desirous of being reconciled to you. God is willing to be at peace with you. God is willing not only to put down the weapons of warfare pointed at you, but he is also willing to be your God and to be your friend and to be your heavenly father. So if you are outside of Jesus Christ and you're here today, please, he is offering you God himself is offering you to come and sit under his vine, sit under his fig tree. (laughs) Come and eat and feast of the tree of life. Come and experience true rest and comfort for your soul. So come now and take hold of Jesus Christ. Take hold of that great protection. Take hold of that great refuge and make peace with God and find comfort and rest for your souls. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you command us here and elsewhere to strive for peace and to be the peacemakers of this world. Oh, please give us the grace. Give us the grace to fulfill these commands. Give us the grace to reflect these commands. Give us the grace to reflect your very heart to other people, even our enemies even to the heathen, even to the people who are total strangers to us. Help us to be about peace. And most of all, help us to be about proclaiming the gospel of peace to this lost and violent and full of strife world. Thank you that one day peace will reign in this land from nation to nation. But Lord, we pray that some of that would come now through the salvation of sinners and for them to enter the kingdom of God. For any who are outside of Christ, we pray for them once again that they would find peace with you in the blood of Christ. Thank you that you are willing and desirous to be reconciled to sinners. Oh, may you give sinners the heart to be willing and desirous to be reconciled to you. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.